Everybody. Welcome to the Uncover Up. I'm Elena Papianis. I'm here with my two besties, Nathan Radke Hello. and Lee Kunla. Hiya. Uh, it's good to be back, guys. It's good to have you back. Thanks. It's a full cohort this time. Full cohort. Yeah, now and we. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and we're finally delivering a podcast, an episode we've promised probably 12 times. Yeah, I think this might be the first time we're making good on one of our promises of doing something we said we would do in a previous podcast. Yeah, and I'm worried about it because I think part of every one of our podcasts is the part of the podcast, it's like a segment that we do where we promise, promise. that we will do this. <laughs> empty, prom- empty promises. Yeah, the empty promise part. And so I don't know what we're going to do now that we're actually following through and we're going to talk about... T- attempts to kill... Uh, Castro. Fidel Castro, finally. Castro's the Castro beard. cast. This That's is right. The Castro We're cast. doing Castro's beard. Yes. yes. Yeah, that's just as dirty as it sounds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, this is going to be a dirty episode. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of... There's, a there's, lot of there's nasty, dirty stuff in this one. Like, this stuff is basically pretty much as close as we can get to 100% true mm-hmm. and 100% bananas. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally. Which means the CIA is involved. Mm-hmm. Yes, and how. Let's talk about the CIA. Oh, the CIA. <laughs> the CIA... It's formed in 1947, uh, and it's formed uh, in something called the National Security Act of 1947. At the time, it was replacing the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, which had been that sort of wartime organization, which had gotten up to a lot of weird stuff during Mm -hmm. World War II. They were extremely worried, in particular Truman, who was president at the time, was extremely worried that this new agency would have a lot of overreach that they wouldn't be accountable enough because by their very nature, they were probably going to be secretive. Mm -hmm. And so he was working fairly diligently to make sure that the CIA wouldn't be particularly dangerous or effective, really. Hmm. That seems like that doesn't make a lot of sense in your security apparatus. I understand the worry, but I also feel like this is going to cause a bunch of problems down the road. Yeah, and the the other thing that's interesting is that the safeguards that they put in to try to prevent the CIA from becoming this weird shadowy organization collapsed almost immediately. Hmm. Because this is what they did. They did not provide authority for the CIA to carry out covert operations. Now, when we say covert operations, we're meaning basically illegal acts that are done in other countries under the veil of secrecy. That's what a covert operation mm-hmm. is. And they were not given that authority. However, at the same time, the U.S. government created something called the National Security Council and gave them the authority to direct the CIA to, quote, perform such other functions and duties related to intelligence affecting the national security as the National Security Council may from time to time direct. Does this mean, Elena and Nathan, that you as the F, uh, sorry, the CIA director could get temporary allowance to do these kinds of uh, operations when somebody deemed it necessary, the president or the Senate or somebody, but then you did not always have this authority? Yeah, it wasn't just sort of a a sort of blanket permission to just do whatever nonsense you wanted. The idea was that you would have to approach the National Security Council, you'd have to give them the specifics, and they would grant you a sort of a temporary ability to perform covert actions. I mean, this makes sense, though, from Truman's point of view. Like, imagine you're the president. You don't Mm. want whatever secret stuff to go down, and suddenly you seem responsible for it. If it comes to light or if it goes terribly, 
right? Oh, yeah, then it's sure. your, right. like... That's on you because you're yeah. the public face. Right. Some shadowy agent is never going to be no, in the newspapers. No, it's all on you. You're right. in it. So it adds plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even if we take them very much at face value, they, we've seen the rise of Hitler, the Second World War, the, the totalitarian governments that are around. I, I remember reading uh, about this time period that... Uh, the politicians were indeed worried about the possibility of a secret police emerging within the context of the United States. Well, I would say those two words, secret police, are not a good sign that you are in right. a healthy society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you've got the Cheka that came out of like the, the Tsar's secret police that then sort of morphed into the KGB. You've got all of these examples of what happens when you provide people this kind of power. Mm. It, it rarely goes well. So mm-hmm. luckily, they did not grant the CIA, that power in 1947. They gave it to the National Security Council, the NSC, and said, you guys are going to be the safeguard. At the very first meeting of the NSC in December of 1947, they authorized the CIA to use covert operations. Nice. So, just a blank check. So, yeah, just wow. carry on, guys. Okay. Carry on. Wow. But this idea of plausible deniability, I think, is a really interesting one, because a lot of what we're going to talk about today is going to like, Elena, on a scale of 1 to 10, how ridiculous is this stuff? It's, um, I mean, I'd, I'd say on the scale, like an, on an MK Ultra scale of 1 to 10. I know, given what we've been subjected <laughs> yeah, to yeah, over true. this. Like, uh, MK Ultra is the 10, so yeah. I think this is like, this is this is an 8. Yeah, yeah that <laughs> You know, it's right. up there, but things could get weirder. Yeah. Yeah. I would say Stargate is 11. Okay. Right. Okay. I think once you're starting, you're trying to kill people with telekinesis, then you're you're off the scale. Right. Completely. There's a different chart. Right. I, I was going to put nuking the moon up there too. Nuking the moon. That's that feels like it's about still a, more reasonable. It's like an eight and a half, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. really? Okay. Yeah. So this is eight. This is eight out of ten on our banana scale, mm-hmm. which right. we just invented just now. Okay. The mm-hmm. CIA banana scale. Yeah. Part of the reason this stuff is going to seem so ridiculous is because. Like, the process of assassinating a person is actually extremely difficult. It's also particularly difficult when, this is something Lee's already brought up, you want to maintain plausible deniability. Now, what is plausible deniability? Well, the ability to deny something uh, in a reasonable way. So to seem like uh, you could somehow not be responsible, even if you are. Yeah. Like, let's say... Well, we'll be an example. Yeah, what's a good example? Like, let's say Lee wanted me dead. Okay. Oh, going right there to the nuclear option. I was thinking of an example where I pick up the wrong bag. You know, if we had like two satchels that looked quite similar and yours had cool stuff in it and mine didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I could pick up the wrong one, but I could, you know... That's totally like, understandable. It was an accident. It was yeah. an accident, even though, in fact, I did it on purpose there's this kind of plausible story mm-hmm. I could weave that even though the circumstances make it look one way, well, there's maybe a way we could interpret this uh, where I'm not a right. criminal. Where it was an accident. Yeah. And I didn't kill Nathan. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, if you if Lee wanted to kill me, if you went through Elena, Aha. if you had Elena right. kill me, and then people would be confused and they would be like, well, Nathan and Elena had no beef. Right. Yeah. What, was the, what was the issue here? It's a mystery. Good tip. Yeah. so plausible deniability is uh, uh, and I quote from a senate report the practice of concealing CIA covert operations from the world and performing them in such a way that if discovered the role of the United States could be plausibly denied now what makes this interesting is 
It means that uh, communications between the CIA and the federal government, like the, the presidency, basically, those communications are made deliberately convoluted and imprecise. Hmm. And, and think about that. You're talking about assassinations. This is like, this could lead, this will almost certainly lead to death, destruction, possibly war, maybe world war. But because you're trying to plausibly deny your, your actions, you are deliberately talking in such a confused way. Mm-hmm. It would be like if Lee said to Elena, you know, it would be a real shame <laughs> if something happened to Nathan. Right. While he was out on his balcony While in the bunker. While he was bunker. on his balcony in the mm-hmm. bunker. It sure is a far fall. Right. Anyway, I should go. <laughs> and that seems ridiculous, but that's what they're talking about, mm-hmm. that level. It's interesting that you bring that up, Nathan, because as part of our research for today's episode, we were reading a uh, CIA manual on assassinations, and in that... It specifically states that nothing should ever be committed to paper about this. And what about, um, I just got a flashback to uh, the phone call made after Frank Olson ended, uh, was pushed out the oh, window. Oh, yeah, right. And he calls the, and what does he say? I'm. Well, he's gone? Yeah, he's gone now, or. Yeah, it's like, well, know. he's gone. Yeah. And then it's they're like, like, oh, that's too bad. And then they hung up. Yeah. And that's their way of saying he's, it's been completed. Mm-hmm. He's been killed. Yeah. And again, if you think about, like, if this happened right now, if I fell out the window, Lee wouldn't turn to Elena and say, well, Nathan's gone. Yeah. He'd be like, oh my God, Nathan fell out the window. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, he's gone. Yeah, okay. well, that's, he's gone. That's too bad. Okay, so why don't we look at this very briefly? This mm-hmm. is something we've talked about before, but because we're specifically talking about CIA assassinations, let's, let's read some... Could, could we also um, give people the place that they can download this for themselves? Because this is what we did. We downloaded mm-hmm. the, uh, a study of assassination... Uh, which is a CIA document, although rendered in a helpfully readable form. Yeah, unusual for the documents we read over. That's right. And so uh, where could listeners find a handbook like this? Well, uh, it can be found online if you do a search for a study of assassination transcription. Uh, the version that we have has been ebooked and revised by SOKOL in 2002. It helpfully does provide some of the original drawings and some like photo stats of the I'll original post some papers. Stuff. Yeah, we'll post some stuff. So why don't we read a little bit from this? Lee, you were saying that as you were reading this, you were increasingly uncomfortable. You know, at first I approached this as a fun read and I was interested and I was kind of into it until at some point I realized once again what it was that I was reading and put it also into the context of some of the stories that we've talked about on this podcast and how it's actually not funny at all when you encounter stuff about where to hit somebody on the head or what what instrument works better when you really want to kill somebody than others it did start to leave a sick feeling well because it's so matter of fact yet it's about killing people yeah yeah um and because you know this is if you if you know the history and if you interpret it the way we have it it actually happened like we've Mm -hmm. seen this go down Yep, but horrifying consequences. Uh, but Nathan has just uh, alerted me to one of the passages which really stuck out to me. And I think this maybe does in, uh, talk to about all of us here. And this is a direct quote. quote. From, from a CIA handbook on assassination. That's right. Which says, But assassination can seldom be employed with a clear conscience. Persons who are morally squeamish should not attempt it. That's good advice. 
I think we're morally we're apparently squeamish. morally squeamish yeah. from yeah. the perspective of the CIA. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Uh, Elena, why don't you read a passage from this thing as well, just to give people a bit more flavor? All right, let's see. Well, uh, the simplest local tools are often much, uh, often much the most efficient means of assassination. A hammer, axe, wrench, screwdriver, fire poker, kitchen knife, lampstand, or anything hard, heavy, and handy will suffice. A length of rope or wire or a belt will do if the assassin is strong and agile. All such improvised weapons have the important advantage of availability and apparent innocence. Apparent innocence. Plausible uh, deniability. Yeah, and, and another point that I thought was really interesting is that the assassin doesn't need to carry these tools. So there's no need to have that black bag with the leather yeah, gloves. Yeah, hey, Nathan, you know? why are you walking in with a fire poker? Yeah. Nathan doesn't even have a fireplace. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's Nathan, another. what stuck out uh, to you? Uh, here's another section, um, subsection five, blunt weapons. As with edge weapons, blunt weapons require some anatomical knowledge for effective use. Their main advantage is their universal availability. A hammer may be picked up almost anywhere in the world. Baseball and cricket bats are very widely distributed. Even a rock or a heavy stick will do, and nothing resembling a weapon need be procured, carried, or subsequently disposed of. Hmm. Like, it is, at the same time, sort of darkly hilarious Mm -hmm. and chilling you to the bone Mm -hmm. to read this stuff. Because it literally is a manual, like, yeah. how to do this best. And it's it's something about the CIA that does this, where they combine the bureaucratically boring with the chilling nightmare totally. of horrible yeah. deaths. And it's Because yeah, you're reading it and you're like, yeah, the rocks are everywhere. I could yeah. find a rock pretty easily. And what imagine the person typing, up, typing it up and then yeah, being yeah. like... Nathan, do you have that report ready? <laughs> the yeah. ready yet? Um, one of the things that did strike me, though, was immediately afterwards, uh, they note how ineffective firearms are. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with firearms. People don't know how to use them. They overestimate uh, their killing ability, their range, their power. Yeah, they specifically say several times that the machine gun is not necessarily a particularly good assassination tool. Mm-hmm. Which I would think it wouldn't be. It's... A machine gun? Yeah. How many people are you trying to kill? Right. Good point. But here's a line that's maybe the most horrifying line in this entire manual. An effective technique has been devised for the use of a pair of submachine gunners by which a room containing as many as a dozen subjects can be purified Mm. in about 20 seconds with little or no risk to the gunners. Hmm. Purified. And and then then they show you like a conference room technique for how you were, if you were to try and kill multiple people in a room, how you would enter and where you would fire. That is going to go up on Instagram. Yeah, we will take yeah, a picture I'll of these, that. how to shoot up a conference room and put that up on Instagram Although, for you. do we want to do that? Yeah, I don't know. No, I'm I don't starting to, to get all kinds of cold feet. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't, I'll post one photo. Yeah, I don't think it actually the... provides enough helpful information. No, and they could find it themselves as well. Yeah, yeah we did start the episode by... But I do feel creepy. Mm-hmm. Linking to an assassination manual. That's yeah. how we started. Okay. <laughs> but we'll get back on Where track. Where do we go now? Yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay. Why don't we cleanse our palate? Okay. By talking purify about it. the... Purify. Why don't we purify our palate, submachine gun style, by talking about a wildly unsuccessful series of assassination attempts. Mm-hmm. That's good. Why don't okay. we do that? That'll make us feel because a bit it, better. Because these do seem comical. Like, they do seem like a Wile E. Coyote episode yeah. where they just can't 
kill the person they want to kill or the character and like things just go terribly wrong in this like comedic sitcom-y funny way. Wiley Coyote, that's, Elena's got it right. Yeah. If I had been reading these files and at some point I had read that the CIA had mailed away to Acme products, <laughs> I would have said, yeah, okay, maybe, I, I believe it. Yeah. All right, so why don't we get into it? Why don't we, we should very quickly say, why was the CIA trying to kill Castro? Yeah, why was the CIA trying to kill Castro? Oh, wait, that's me. Okay. That's you. Um, <laughs> I right. was like, great question. Great question. Right. I, I hope somebody has Let's the answer for that. sit in that question for a second. <laughs> um, generally, I mean, to be very quick and broad and uh, succinct about it, after the, so Cuba has a revolution led by Fidel Castro, which has a very left-wing socialist tinge to it, and the United States, especially according to Castro himself, they're just not into left-wing revolutions and really don't think that they are safe, productive of good politics, good for the people who live under them. Basically, guess, there, anytime you have a left-wing government, the CIA considers that a win for the Soviets. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Right. And therefore, a target to go after, a legitimate target to go after because they're destabilizing world politics. And yeah, uh, Cuba had become socialist and i i kind of put quotes around air quotes around that which of course our listeners can't see but they didn't it wasn't a self-consciously communist revolution like the second russian revolution it wasn't like um bolsheviks on the street saying okay now it was more of an anti-corruption anti-capitalist revolution kind of grassroots yeah that then uh, morphs into a real socialist revolution Okay. Nonetheless, though, that marks Cuba as a dangerous territory and one problematically very close to U.S. borders. Within swimming distance. Yeah. A very strong swimmer. If you're a good swimmer. Might survive it uh, in good weather. But, you know, it's close. It's close, especially in military, geographic, political terms. And there's this charismatic leader. And what if, because this this goes back to a theory of that time known as the domino effect, where if one country falls to communism, that will infect other countries nearby because they'll be seduced by these ideas of worker liberation. And then they'll try this folly of creating a revolution. And there'll be another country that's, you know, a win for the Soviets and a loss for freedom and apple pie and all of that. Because it was looked at as that zero sum game. Mm -hmm. That's it. You're either with us or against us. Yep. And if you are not explicitly with us, you're probably against us. Yeah. And so the United States saw Cuba as a a threat because it could uh, both infect Latin America with revolutionary ideas and also destabilize the United States in an episode that we've talked about on this uh, podcast before, for example, the, the Bay of Pigs. Yeah. And not only that, not only was there an ideological danger, but there was also a rain of fire from the sky danger because you could put missiles Mm -hmm. in cuba the soviets could put missiles in cuba that you basically have no warning and from cuba in the 1960s they would have been able to hit every city in the united states except for seattle Hmm. shout out to Hmm. seattle one of my favorite cities Mm -hmm. okay hello seattle listeners (laughs) you guys wouldn't have been destroyed in In the uh, in the hellfire congratulations So that's a rough and ready reason why the Americans might not like Castro. There's a lot more detail there with mafia connections and personal 
animosities. But uh, but if if you want that, you can just go to our Kennedy cast. Yeah, that's right. Because There's we a lot went into that. some detail that's about true. the Bay of Pigs and the mob connections to. So, what were the numbers that you guys saw in terms of attempts on Castro's, li- Castro's life, or at least plans, some ideas to to assassinate him? What kind of numbers did you see? So part of my research uh, for this podcast is I read a a long interview with Fidel Castro, uh, which he does in the mid-2000s, and he claimed, this is uh, almost a direct quote, and actually I should give the book, which is Fidel Castro, My Life, and it comes from chapter 11, uh, entitled Conspiracy, which is of course the first chapter I read. He says between November 1961, which was the Bay of Pigs, to January 1963, there were 5,780 terrorist attacks by the USA on Cuba. 717 of those were serious attacks against industry, where 234 Cubans died. In total, 3,500 victims were were killed, while 2,000 people roughly were mutilated. And that's just in that two-year period. That is a lot. No, that's according to Castro. That's according to Castro. And that he is here talking about all what he calls terrorist attacks uh, on Cuba, not which include attacks on his life, Okay, but are not limited to that. Because for attacks on his life, I saw about 634 or so, or at least 600 on his life. Did you guys see similar things? Yeah, Fidel yeah, that's, that's... said over 600. Right, yeah. okay. And uh, I've also heard from... Uh, American intelligence analysts that that number is probably inflated, but Mm -hmm. not greatly inflated. Right. Um, And the presidents who uh, performed or or, were part of the most, I should say, of these plots, I saw Nixon at about 184. Okay. uh, Reagan at 197. Of course. Those were the top ones, I would say. And then you get like Carter around 64, Mm -hmm. Johnson 72. But that, that, that's a lot. That is a lot. And he lived to be 90 years I old know. and he died of natural causes. Yeah. Unless their final plan was to have time assassinate him, uh, right, they were not successful. It, like, it, 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 the irony, though, you're right, uh, Elena. It's like a- how many people are so, like, are, have been kicking themselves for years who were part of these plans and could never accomplish it. And he was a smoker. Uh. Yeah, and a ton of cigars. <laughs> um, I'll just let me just add here because Fidel does something interesting just about these 600 attempts. He puts them into four different groups. He said there were some organized directly by the CIA. There were some organized by front groups that the CIA wasn't obviously involved in, but they kind of got their money and training from them. Plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. Then there was incitement. So this is an interesting notion where. Fidel argues that there was just a notion that he needed to be assassinated, which was put out into the public sphere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the idea was, well, somebody will just pick up and run with that. Right. Um, And then lastly, uh, fundraising. And uh, this was, again, for sort of shadowy groups that really didn't have anything directly to do with the American government. And he said uh, those four really accounted for all the different types of attempts on his life. Yeah, that sounds about right. Like the the confidence of this man must have been like to to be dying at age ninety and to be like they never did yeah, it right. Especially, I'm like he must have felt invincible. Yeah, he must have thought he was some kind of like demigod. Totally. At that point. Didn't he kind of say that a little bit? Oh, we'll we'll get to that. When yeah. We get okay. To the, yeah. 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 Let's start in 1960. Okay. Now 1960, the CIA is feeling like pretty impressed with themselves. They had just had and I'm putting hardcore quotation marks around this, 
a success in the early 50s with uh, overthrowing the government of Iran when mm-hmm. they they basically created a coup against Mossadegh, who had been elected. Uh, we did an episode on that. And they had all sorts of new technology, and they were getting all sorts of new funding. So when they receive word in this weird, deliberately convoluted way that the American government wants Castro killed, they are on it. Now, I should point out that the procedures for authorizing assassinations from 1947 to 1955 were simply non-existent. And from 1955 to 1963, they were, and I quote, somewhat cloudy. (laughs) The authorization for assassinations procedures were somewhat cloudy. I feel like you want those to be clear, but again, you want to be able to Mm -hmm. hide it. Let's get into these. These are ridiculous. Most of these come from a group that we have talked about before the Technical Services Division of the CIA, the TSD, led by a man named Sidney Gottlieb. Now, where have we come across Sidney Gottlieb before? I think I'm MKUltra. MKUltra cast, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep, the MKUltra stuff, the Frank Olson stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, this guy was all over that. So let's look at some of the, the wacky, bizarre, wowie, coyote-style plans they had. The, these first ones aren't even assassinations. These first ones are just attempts to kind of destroy his image. Between March and April 1960, there was a plan from the Technical Services Division that they were going to spray Castro's broadcasting studio with an aerosolized version of a drug that was similar to LSD. When I came across this, it immediately made me think of an event that has gone down as an unsolved mystery in the annals of CIA lore, but it's the Pont Saint-Esprit outbreak of some kind of 1951 of some kind of hysterical delusional psychosis which i say with lots of scare quotes because i'm clearly no medical practitioner or professional but something weird happened there and people that one that if i may talk about myself personally for a moment oh please do nathan that one is my white whale Mm -hmm. the pont saint esprit incident where a bunch of people basically lost their minds and some people died because of some strange outbreak of hallucinations that is the single conspiracy that i am the most like personally motivated to look into and for me when i saw this i'm like okay look how many times now you know we've Mm -hmm. seen the mk ultra stuff in the united states now we're seeing them at least develop plans of using some agent that they clearly have in their possession to spray a studio in Cuba to, you know, I don't know, make them babble incoherently on television, make them lose their political mm-hmm. clout. I was, And like, we yeah. know that they were testing, developing and testing things in Europe and yeah. abroad. Yeah. So, so I'm so like, it's... you know what? I think the same. Sorry. Yeah. I know this is about Castro's beard, but I think <laughs> we just solved something else too. Mm-hmm. I it, This, the fact that they had this ready to go as a plan does make it more likely to me mm-hmm. that perhaps the event in Pont-Saint-Esprit was actually a CIA test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, a test. Like, yeah. can we make something like this go down? Yeah. We promise we will return to Pont-Saint-Esprit. Yeah, Pont-Saint-Esprit. That'll episode. be a big one. There we go. Now we've got the new promise empty that we promise. can... Empty promise. There's a new empty promise. promise. <laughs> um, and wasn't, wasn't there another similar plan, uh, like character assassination to try and make his beard fall out as well? This is just cartoonishly yeah. absurd. So here's the plan. He was on a trip abroad uh, to a country that was sort of friendly with Cuba. And the idea was that he was going to be staying at a hotel. And as people do, 
I didn't know people did this, but apparently you can leave your shoes outside and they will shine your shoes for you. Oh. So Back when people had their shoes shined. Back when people had shiny mm-hmm. shoes. So their hope was Castro would go into this nice fancy hotel. He would leave his shoes outside the door. But instead of the shoe shine guy picking them up, the CIA would pick up these shoes. Uh-huh. They would dust them with thallian salts. And then when he put on his shoes, the idea that those that thallian salts would absorb into his bloodstream and it would cause his beard to fall off. Now, what went wrong with that? How come that didn't work? His trip was canceled, oh. which seems like the most mundane totally. reason for the most ridiculous plan. One little side thing that I came across when I was researching this is that this had been successfully tested on animals, which just oh. gave me an image of Some like naked s- animals. Yeah, just mm-hmm. CIA headquarters, out, like just like bald cats walking yeah. around CIA. Yeah, 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 yeah. Success. Okay, from the TSD. Can I just ask a very naive question? What is up with Castro's beard? Like, who cares? So that's but your big isn't it plan, like, a sign like to make of, uh, like his masculinity and power, and so it's like who who is that biblical character Solomon? No, oh that was yeah no wait Samson Samson Samson, Samson. with his hair maybe all right <laughs> well I mean and just imagine for example we all listen to what Lee has to say mm-hmm. but it's because imagine, of my beard yeah but it's a lot mm-hmm. of imagine if that beard fell off would you even listen to Lee and I guess anymore? it was part of his persona maybe so much so. As well, it was so much part of the image, mm-hmm. and it would have it wouldn't have fallen off in like a nice clean shaven way. It would have been and, patchy and awful. Yeah. Probably no I, eyebrows too. You would think. I get it. I, get, I that's, that's good, even more disturbing see? than imagining the bald cats. See, huh? Yeah. Wow. This is interesting because you have no. It's almost like you have a featureless face if you have no eyebrows. Yeah. Well, like Uncle Leo in that episode of Seinfeld. Yes. See. It's hard to tell what emotion he's feeling. It's weird. I just I'm I'm struggling to imagine the boardroom meeting. Where this comes out as a plan, like mm-hmm. I, I'm struggling to oh, imagine, imagine any of them. the speech yeah. where he's got his. This is how it happens in my head. He stands up for the speech. The crowd's like, "Yay!" And just as he starts to talk, his beard all falls out at once. <laughs> and the crowd goes, "Wow!" Yeah. Uh, okay. But the trip was canceled, so none of this. Uh, I think you need to test it, Lee. You need to grow really strong, like hardened style. You don't know for basketball player. You gotta. You gotta like. He's known for his beard. Right. You got to and work it for like two years. See if my authority known, increases totally. as and my beard grows. patchily shave it off one right, day and see right. how you're treated. Okay. Yeah. I think that's worth it. That's yeah. totally It's a long term. You, you got to invest it's in it. It's going to take a couple okay. years. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we'll two year social experiment. Yeah. We'll test it on cats first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, other plans they had, uh, going back to the LSD, they were going to impregnate cigars, which is going to be something that comes up a bunch of times. They were going to impregnate cigars with a similar chemical, in a, again, in hopes that he would smoke a cigar and then just start talking absolute nonsense. Mm-hmm. And there were also, there were other plans through cigars, right? Like a poison one. There, this is where the botulinum toxin, apparently it'd be so potent that just putting it in his mouth, he would die. I see. But is the exploding cigar a myth? I That's think the exploding I... cigar is a myth, yeah. but you're right about the, the botulinum toxin. That was in April 16th, 1960. Uh, a CIA officer was given a box of Castro's favorite cigars. Clearly, they had pinpointed this was his weakness. Mm-hmm. His weakness was cigars and beards. And ice cream. We'll get to that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ice cream. Yeah. And they were given instructions. This was, again, the TSD, Sidney Gottlieb, was given instructions to poison these guitar uh, these guitars, to poison these, <laughs> poison these cigars... <laughs> With botulinum toxin, which totally lethal. They were ready by October 7th, 1960. They were delivered to an agent 
February 13th, 1961. And then I don't know what happened to that agent, but we do know that he didn't smoke those cigars. Now, of course, it isn't enough to just have weird delivery methods for poison and stuff like that. You're still going to need somebody on the ground in Cuba to pull this stuff off. And because the CIA wanted plausible deniability, they thought to themselves, okay, who could we get that would sort of separate these events from us, the CIA, who also have a beef with Castro and who also would have contacts in Cuba? Who do we know that's like that? Hmm. What organization? What maybe criminal organization? <laughs> the mob? Is that what you're getting at? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is the connection with the mob and Cuba? Or is it Cuban exiles who ended up starting criminal organizations? Yeah, because, States? of course, uh, under Batista, who was the leader that Castro booted out, the mob basically had free reign. And didn't Castro outlaw a lot of stuff? Like gambling and all sorts of, I don't know, a bunch of stuff that these exiles would have had to go elsewhere to do. Yeah, my understanding is that they were running a lot of casinos and they mm-hmm. were making a ton of money in Cuba. The revolution succeeds and they get booted, booted and they're, they've got a beef now. You know, they're not particularly political. I think if, if uh, Fidel had left them make money, mm-hmm. they would not necessarily have sided with the United States. So it's not like they're, you know, patriotic goons. I think they just got mad that they yeah. got Lost one out. out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, sure, let's, let's take him out and then we get our casinos back. Although what's funny is that a lot of these guys, when they were caught afterwards, they said they were doing it for patriotism. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good cover for a lot of problems you get yourself into. <laughs> Always cloak yourself in patriotism. So in August of 1960, the CIA gets the idea, well, we should, yeah, we should hire the mob to kill Castro. They have the contacts. They provide the plausible deniability because the mob had ties to Cuba, had a grudge against Castro. Uh, so there was an ex-FBI agent who was hired by the CIA. We're really starting to show the different levels mm-hmm. of how far removed they were trying to appear from this, from this assassination. So an ex-FBI agent named uh, Robert Mayhew uh, was paid $500 a month to basically contact some underworld people, some mob people. The first person he contacts is a guy called uh, John Rosselli, who's a mob insider, and Rosselli introduces Mayhew to two guys who go with the names of Sam Gold and Joe. Uh-huh. Not suspicious. Sorry, just inside baseball here, is he from the Chicago mob family? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is Chicago mob stuff. Then it turns out, and this is kind of embarrassing for the CIA, because now the CIA has hired these two guys, Sam Gold and Joe, well, the embarrassing part is that Sam Gold is actually a guy called uh, Momo Salvatore Giancana. Joe is a guy called Santos Traficante. And they're both on the FBI's most wanted list. Mm. That's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. You got CIA hiring people on the FBI's most wanted list. And this is something that actually we've come across before. When we were talking about uh, the crack cocaine epidemic, again, we saw the FBI trying to track down drug dealers. And then it turned out those drug dealers... We're CIA operatives or somehow compromised. Yeah, exactly. So, and if the name Giancana sounds familiar, it's because uh, Giancana's girlfriend was a woman named Judith Exner, and she claimed to be one of JFK's many mistresses. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a lot of phone records and travel records that seem to back up her account. Mm -hmm. So this is all, 
this is all tying mm-hmm. together. This is like the grand Didn't unified really theory. It. 1960 to 1963 is like the hotbed of conspiracies. I mean, so much of what we talk about is happening in that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, the daughter of uh, Giancana claimed that her father was just running a scam. He was oh. just getting money from the CIA. He was never really that interested in killing Castro, but he did see an opportunity to sure. run a scam and get a ton of tax sense. dollars. Yeah. Um, all right, what happened, what happened to the milkshake? So Castro apparently loved ice cream and milkshakes. Sure. It's and, uh, and, and cigars. And cigars. And, and diving, which we'll get to as well. <laughs> yeah. Scuba diving. Uh, and so they, oh no, I, what I, oh yeah, they did. They asked for help from a casino mafia oh. who had kicked him, um, that mafia guy off the island after Castro took power and outlawed gambling. And so they snuck some, I guess some cyanide pills, was it, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, to a, a worker at this cafe where he often went and got his milkshake ampules i heard them and what ampules ampules right some ampules and the ampules were kept in the freezer i guess and when it came time for his milkshake to be poisoned someone went to get them the worker who was in charge of it and they were like frozen into the freezer and so they could not be dislodged and therefore could not be used to poison castro what a rookie mistake who are these guys honestly it was at this point though that I started to think, okay, wait, this is actually verging on the comical. Totally. Because it's just like, it felt like this is the kind of stuff that clearly had not been tried out. It was the kind of thing that works in, in theory, a, in or, a like, theory yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or in a spy novel. Right. Right. And then you actually do it and crap like this yeah. happens. Like your cyanide pill gets stuck in the ice in the freezer. Totally. But or, apparently this is one of the closest they got, if not the closest huh. that they got for it to actually... If have they had, worked. If they had defrosted that freezer, all of yeah. history would be different. That was also another question I had about this. Why does that make it not usable now? Like, are you unable to just like get a knife and hack out that pill? Or I don't how know. enthusiastic would you be about? Like yeah. working a, a, a cyanide <laughs> ampule, and there's and like you don't have time. You're probably rushed for it too. Like That's you right. have to put it in the milkshake. He's and your boss is it. like, it's "Why like, are you hacking at the ice yeah, in the freezer? Right? Where's my milkshake?" <laughs> okay. Okay, so here, here's another one that's that's sort of strange. In 1963, the the TSD under Sidney Gottlieb, the Technical Services Division of the CIA, they come up with a plan. You know what he likes doing is diving. And you know what are pretty? Seashells. Mm-hmm. You know what's hard to resist is a really, <laughs> really pretty, beautiful one. really gorgeous yeah. seashell. So what if they took a seashell that was so gorgeous, nobody could possibly mm-hmm. pass it up? You'd see it, you'd want it. You'd want it to it's be yours. It's all like bedazzled and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. It's got rhinestones The, the bling it. of the ocean. Yeah. This, is, this is the ocean's bling. And so imagine, Castro is swimming, he sees this, it's glinting, it's beautiful, he brings it up from the bottom of the ocean. He holds it up triumphantly and says, look at this. And then kaboom. Yeah. What I love is that the CIA apparently bought a bunch of shells. Uh, to see like which one was prettiest? Totally. Uh, so could you imagine that meeting where like, guys, I've got the shells. Right. And they lay them all out. And they're probably like debating. Oh, this one's too small. This one's too big. This one's too obvious. Yeah. Like, this what, what one's would too a, showy. Yeah. yeah. What would a communist think is the prettiest seashell? Yeah. That's a good question. That's, maybe you would it's like... It's got to be like, kind of modest. Yeah. Like yeah just exactly. a plain clam. <laughs> Not surprisingly, or maybe surprisingly... This plan was discarded as impractical. So mm-hmm. hold on. This thing, they were what? They were going to pack it with explosives? Yeah. yeah. Literally. And how would it go off? Like, 
it's underwater. But it's rigged, so I guess once it's a little time bomb, move it. So imagine this. So now this is what I have in my head. He has like a beautiful conch shell. He brings it up. He's like, it's so pretty. I want to hear the ocean. And yeah, he puts yeah. his ear to it. It's like, tick, 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 tick. <laughs> Okay, so that's impractical. So then they come up with a much more practical plan. Let's poison him before he even gets to the exploding shell. Let's poison his diving suit. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Because the milkshake didn't work. The shoes didn't work. The cigars and cigarettes didn't work. The LSD didn't work. The LSD didn't work. So let's... Just poisons clothes. Yeah, and hope that he isn't a skinny he's, dipper. He's still got his beard. He's enjoying <laughs> delicious non-cyanide milkshakes. He's, he's really living his best life. He's got a nice collection of beautiful non-exploding <laughs> yeah, seashells. Exactly. It's like at every turn. So they, they're like they actually they actually build this diving suit. Now here's the thing: at the time, 1963, they're trying to negotiate for the release of a lot of the prisoners. There was like 9,700 prisoners who had been taken prisoner during the failed Bay of Pigs invasion. So they have a very famous lawyer, James Donovan. Now, James Donovan uh, was famous for getting back Gary Powers from the Soviets after his U-2 crashed, which we have an episode on. And now he's negotiating for the return of all of these prisoners. And so they think, aha, this is how we can get it to Castro. We'll give it to Donovan to give to Castro as a gift. It'll be a nice, beautiful day. He'll go for a swim. And not only will we dust the diving suit with fungus that'll give him chronic skin disease, but what are they going to do with the breathing apparatus? They put tuberculosis in it. Man. Nasty, eh? That is terrible. This also didn't work out. And this didn't work out for the ridiculous reason. so good. That right before they were going to do this, it just turned out that coincidentally... James Donovan gave Castro a present of a diving suit anyway. And so they're like, I love that. Damn it. That's amazing. Because could be like, no, no, wait, I have a better one for you. <laughs> yeah. Because you don't want to be that, that guy who gives the person the same gift twice. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's a diving suit. And here's a diving <laughs> suit. This isn't weird at all. Yeah. So uh, that also fails. But it went far as far as, as having far as, the suit. As and, actually huh. building yeah. the suit and coming up with a plan. What and if he has another weakness? What if his weakness isn't his, his, his beard or his cigars or his love of seashells or his swimming? It's the ladies. What about the ladies? Mm. Now, you know, that's interesting, though, because they're, they're, I, I, I don't know if it was a CIA manual, but somewhere in our research in these podcasts, there was this claim that there's really like one of three weaknesses you should work on and it's drugs, uh, uh, like gambling debts or women Hmm. that that's often be like a, a way to turn somebody or to manipulate them. I mean, certainly the KGB used all three of those against people. Well, it'll often be like somebody will be susceptible to one of those three quote unquote weaknesses. Well, we're lonely. We're lonely out here in these streets. Oh Yeah. Um, so Marita, that's why we appreciate the listeners so much. That's, that's right. True. That's why the three of us get together in hopes of uh, <laughs> someone hearing us. Uh, so um, Marita Lorenz, uh, she was his lover, one of his lovers, and she was recruited by the CIA funded anti-Castro groups, one of them. And she was tasked to give him botulism toxin pills. Again. Uh, yeah, again. But it didn't work out. Not only did it not work out, but he totally had her number. So, yeah, it's so apparently a bit of an interviewer or the story appeared in Vanity Fair once. So I'll read a little bit from this. 
So she had she had put the pills, she had stashed the capsules in a jar of her cold cream. And when she looked for them, they were kind of all gunked up. <sighs> so they had maybe dissolved a little or something. They all gunked up. So she tried to fish them out. And but she said she ended up just flushing them down the toilet uh, because they were all messed up. And when Castro finally came, he was sort of on to her a little bit. She said mm. he was wary. He said, uh, why did you leave so suddenly was his first question. And she said, uh, she says, uh, he said, are you running around with those counter revolutionaries in Miami? Uh, I said, yes. I tried to play it cool. The most nervous I have ever been was in that room because I had agents on standby and I had to watch my timing. I had enough hours to stay with him, order a meal, kill him, and prevent him from making a speech that night, which was already pre-announced. He was very tired and wanted to sleep. He was chewing a cigar. And he laid down on the bed and said, did you come here to kill me? Just like that. I was standing at the edge of the bed. I said, yes, I wanted to see you. (laughs) And he said, that's good, that's good. Castor asked if she was working for the CIA. Uh, she said, not really. I work not, for myself. Not really. Wow. That's not the answer you want. Then he leaned over, pulled out his forty-five, and handed it to me. I flipped the chamber out and hit it back. He didn't even flinch. And he said, you can't kill me. Nobody can kill me. And he kind of smiled and chewed on his cigar. I felt deflated. Wow. Wow. You know... I'm sorry. I'm going to say. Oh, and they wait. made love after that. Well, yeah, I, guess, <laughs> I mean, you'd no, have no, to. But that's it. That. I, I was going to. I was going to admit to something. That's hot stuff. Yeah. Like, imagine a relationship like that. Like, that oh is, my god! Some like serious power play. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like pull out a gun. I, you got shot, but not really because there's no bullets there. I mean, a lover like that. That's that's some yeah. exciting times. I think Valentine's Day is coming up, <laughs> and I think we've given some people some really nice yeah, role playing date ideas. Totally. <laughs> This time I There's, want to be Castro. <laughs> <laughs> but again, this this like comes out of a novel. For totally, me. like this yeah. is the kind of relationship. That's how I imagine this stuff. There needs to be movies about first the LSD, first bike ride LSD trip needs to be made yeah. into a movie, and this needs to. I mean, that's a short, mm-hmm. but this should be made into a movie. I, I just want to throw it, and I, this is not assassination attempts on Castro, but it is interesting that there is in Cuba this element of biological warfare. And you just mentioned it, Elena, with botulism. This, again, comes from uh, these these interviews that I read by Castro. But he notes that in 1971, a swine fever virus was introduced to Cuba in containers, uh, transport containers, and they had to cull half a million pigs as a result. Mm-hmm. That, that swine virus was introduced twice on two separate occasions, according to Castro, by the CIA. There was a dengue fever that was introduced in 1981, which uh, 350,000 people contracted and over 100 kids died from. Mm -hmm. And there was another virus, which I'm sorry I wasn't able to track down the name of, uh, but Castro argues that it was um, introduced to Cuba in the late 70s, early 80s by a known terrorist group known as Omega-7, and that they openly admitted later that they were trying to cause the most amount of victims in Cuba. This is pretty, for me, quite startling stuff because while the CIA and the American government, we've sort of come on to them with a bunch of nefarious stuff that they've done, I've always felt like the biological weapons sphere... Right, that's a step too far even for them. Yeah, like you give somebody, dose somebody (laughs) with acid without their knowing, I mean, God, I'm being so desensitized by the CIA now. You're like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that sounds okay. <laughs> you know, but but this whole like actually an infectious virus mm-hmm. that would get spread through the population 
I'm surprised. I, I, I'm still surprised by that. Well, it's the opposite of being targeted. Yeah. Because a virus could hit anybody. Yeah. And children are susceptible to viruses and the elderly. Like it is, even by the standards of the things that we talk mm-hmm. about, introducing a virus deliberately very vicious. is and horrifying. And hearing this about, what's her name? The woman? Lorenz, who, Marita Lorenz. Marita Lorenz. I'm like, huh. I mean, this sounds like kind of evidence for some of this other stuff that we maybe don't have such clear evidence for. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me tell you one, though, that you guys Are didn't Are you going to depress us, Lee? No, I'm not. Okay, this, one's, this one's fun. You'll like this. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I'll depress you later. Uh, <laughs> this one uh, happens in 1971. And uh, Fidel Castro is giving a speech in Chile. And there's a lot of uh, TV cameras filming him. And apparently, he is made aware of after the fact that in one of those TV cameras is a loaded pistol pointing right at him. The, the reason it didn't work was because clearly the people who were doing the filming, who were then also to be the assassins, and the technical manual on assassinations by the CIA has a term for this. They would be lost. Elena, what did, what did they mean by that? When the CIA says an assassin right. is lost. So if the assassin themselves also gets killed in the attempt. Uh, yeah. In, so, in fact, is designed to be killed right. in the attempt. And so these guys were like, yeah, I don't want to die yeah. right now. I don't want to be Thanks. lost. <laughs> and I'm not going to pull the trigger. And that's the reason he escaped that one. Mm-hmm. Well, but the latest one was happened in 2000, right? Unbelievable. Like, Can you imagine? Yeah, he was giving a speech in, I think it was in Panama, and his that's podium right. was rigged with like 200 pounds of explosives or something. And his security team swept the area before he got there and they found it. And so then it didn't work. And in 2000, he was extremely old. At that point, if I'm trying to assassinate this guy, my plan is, let's just wait him out. Yeah, yeah. Let's just wait him out. Uh, I've got one more example of another failed assassination attempt that actually sort of ties in with what you guys were just talking about, about the idea of the lost assassin. Because they had hired a Cuban who was close to Castro. This guy didn't want, again, to be a lost assassin. So he asked for, and I quote... Uh, the agency to devise some technical means of doing the job that would not automatically cause him to lose his own life in the try. <laughs> it's the least you can ask. Yeah, really. It's like, okay, could we think of a way that isn't necessarily going to cause me to also mm-hmm. die? And so what they did was they came up with a poison pen with a little hypodermic needle. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure from the notes whether the assassin was supposed to carry the pen and then just jab so. Castro with it. Yeah. Okay. Because I like the other idea where you hand Castro the pen to sign something and then the the hypodermic needle stabs him in his hand. Oh, oh. smart when you click the top there, right? Yeah. yeah. Like a ballpoint But pen. then that would be more public that it would happen in a moment when he did that versus just like surreptitiously yeah. kind of stabbing him in the back and then the keep, old, walk, keep on the walking. Jab, the old jab and walk. Yeah. And there is actually precedent for this and I don't remember the details, but there is a, a Soviet-British spy case where um, somebody is assassinated uh, with a plutonium-tipped umbrella. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that happened. Right? They walk across the bridge, mm-hmm. stab the other person with their umbrella. It felt like, oh, somebody has just stabbed me with their, like hit me accidentally yeah. with the tip of their umbrella. Yep. Introduces plutonium into their blood and you know, they die of poisoning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, this pen didn't seem that impressive. Uh, the The agent, the Cuban agent, quote, did not think much of the device and then complained that the CIA could surely, quote, come up with something more sophisticated than that. 
And apparently this agent just tossed the pen away. That's He's how like, you know it's getting bad. When the agents are like, this? Yeah. Come on. Come when on. you're Cuban agents. Yeah. Come on. Come on, guys. You can't come up with anything better. I have a joke. Okay. That oh. was circulating Uh-oh. in Cuba and amongst the CIA at the time. And it's I'm not good at telling jokes. <laughs> and I don't think this joke is very good. So it comes out of CIA files, so that should tell you something. Yeah. yeah. So prepare yourself for like if you're driving, you can probably you don't have to pull over for this joke. Okay. It'll be fine. Right. Okay. So the story is this isn't true. It's a joke. I'm bad at jokes. <laughs> I like that part. Castro is having a party, a birthday party, mm. and he's like seventy year old at this point, and somebody presents him with a baby Galapagos tortoise, and he says, "Oh, this is a nice tortoise. Tell me about this." And the person giving him the gift says, well, they live for 90 years. And Castro says, I don't want it. I don't want to get attached to it and then have it die of old age. No. No. I know. I know. Jokes. Jokes are bad. (laughs) Not all jokes. No. Not all jokes. What's the, what do we get from all of this? Eventually, time did assassinate Castro. The silent artillery of time Mm -hmm. took out Castro. So what... What's the takeaway from all this, aside from the fact that the Cold War was an absurd time where basically they were willing to try anything? I'm thinking. Well, when I started this with you two, I knew some stuff about the CIA, but I had a lot of false conceptions about the CIA. And one of those was that it was this super organization. It was the kind of the supervillains of American history that... And, and also that they knew everything. You know, if you could finally get yourself into whatever the CIA vaults were, there would be the answers there, you know. And the only reason we have to do podcasts like this is because, you know, we can't get into those vaults. But in the two years and a bit that we've been doing this podcast, I've been doing a lot of research on the CIA. And that, that narrative has fallen apart. And more and more, I see the CIA as... Well, I've said it before in earlier podcasts, boys with toys. Mm-hmm. These kind of guys who I almost feels like they read too many spy novels. And when it was time to create a spy organization, made this outrageous, outlandish thing, which focused so much of its energy on these boondoggle operations, like, you know, po- poisoned uh, scuba diving suits and nuking the moon and all the outrageous stuff that we've come up with. And at that time... There were people who were like, you guys are morons. I mean, and he's no, uh, I'm no fan of his, uh, but uh, J. Edgar Hoover was like, you know what we need is we need signals intelligence, people monitoring the radios, and we need spies on the ground. And we don't need exploding cigars, and we don't need exploding cigarettes, or exploding clamshells, or whatever the thing is. And more and more going through this, like it's really the CIA that's behind the real elaborate wacky stuff. I mean, that's why we have the banana CIA scale now, right? Because it's like, okay, what, MKUltra, Nuke in the Moon, Stargate. This is just bizarre stuff. And this costs money, like millions and millions of dollars on these operations that went absolutely nowhere. No, I'm pretty, I have a new appreciation of the CIA. I, I see it differently. That's I put that in a positive way, which I didn't mean to. I, I see the CIA <laughs> I was differently. Say, this is going a different. Yeah, place. no. I I think the CIA. Are you about to leave us and join yeah. the CIA? <laughs> is this how you're telling us? Wow. Um, yeah. So for me, the takeaway is just like, yeah, they really don't know what they're doing. 
they really are stumbling in the dark and they're given way too much money and mm-hmm. no oversight. And then you get this kind of stuff. Well, here's the thing. No plan can survive contact with the enemy. That's just sort of an adage of war. You can come up with all the plans you want, but that as soon as it's out in the field, you're going to come across all these unexpected things that are going to happen. I think this story is the ultimate example of that. They spent so much money. They had like some of the finest minds, rather than working on cures to diseases, were coming up with poisoned wetsuits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a tragic waste. And none of those plans survived contact with the enemy because the enemy is chaos. The enemy is a freezer that's a bit too cold. Mm-hmm. The enemy is... Is the uh, the American lawyer who gives him a wetsuit on his own ahead yeah. of time. <laughs> the totally enemy, accidentally. Yeah, yeah. The enemy is a woman who's like, I'm kind of into this guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that's the real world. And it's almost in a weird way kind of reassuring that mm-hmm. that chaos exists. Because I think it does ultimately prevent people from having that kind of absolute power that is so frightening. Still do a ton of damage, though. Yeah, imagine what, how different the world would be if the CIA hadn't existed and that money were put into, like, healthcare and education. Mm-hmm. But, Elena, what's your takeaway? Oh, man. Oddly enough, this is the most feel-good one wow. <laughs> 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 that, that, I've, that I've been a part of in a while because it is so comical. Like, like it really yeah. does feel like they read a bunch, like you said, a bunch of spy novels, some sci-fi stuff or something, coming up yeah. with all these wacky ideas, just a little too excited for their plans and not enough thinking it through. Like, the ridiculousness of it, I am really enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um and it's allowing me to kind of uh, not feel too heavy and weird about the nefariousness of it. And the hmm. like, so, but it's there and it's like, these are all great points. I just, um, Elena I, finds I, the light side of assassination. I do. And I just love the image of Castro at 90 being like, they never did it. <laughs> I suck it on like, a cigar. I just kind of love that. Yeah. Oh, you know what we need to do before we go? Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we want, we need more followers on Instagram, please. So if you're listening to us and if you enjoy us and you want to see some photos related to our episodes, please, please. uh, We are at the Uncover Up on Instagram. You can Um, see what Lee looks like. Yeah. Yeah, because you never get to see him. He's not actually on Instagram himself. Yeah. That's right. I hide. Yeah, so we'll just post. I'll post like a million photos. Fo- any photo of you Lee, can I see can, my post. very unimpressive beard. We'll do yeah. a close up of Lee's beard. For oh this. yeah, okay. <laughs> so there you go. If you sign up for Instagram, you will be able to see Lee's impressive yes. beard. Yes. And what's our email? Podcast at theuncoverup.com. We should do another listener episode. I'd love soon. to. Yeah, let's love promise to. empty promise. Here we go. <laughs> can, can I throw yeah. in one other plug that sure. we have meant to do for so long? Um, Conspiracy it, pizza? No. Oh. It turns Ooh. out. It turns out that it's absolutely impossible to find us on iTunes on the podcast right. finder because that we don't have a lot of ratings. Not a lot of people have rated our podcast. Which I understand. And I have never rated a mm-hmm. podcast. I've myself. never rated a podcast. I think Mandy has. I think Mandy is, yes, our, thank you, Mandy. is the only person who has uh, <laughs> Thank you so much. It is the one uh, one rating that comes up. But because we only have one or two, it, it's just not findable. So what we need is if people like the podcast, uh, we need you to go to iTunes and we need you to, to give us some stars of some sort and tell the greater podcasting community about us so that other people can find us without knowing in advance what the name of the podcast is. Good plug. Thank you. Go rate us. Mm-hmm.